Welcome back to another episode of the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. I am Colin alongside Jamie Huffman, my co-host for this podcast. If it is your first time here, thank you for listening. If you are a returning listener, thank you for coming back. The best way you can support us moving forward, leaving a review, preferably on Apple Podcasts, that seems to get the most traction, but that's seriously the best way to spread the word outside of our social media networks, our word to mouth uh, ability to spread the show. So if you like us and want to support us and you have a minute, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. And we're going to get into a featured conversation with Zoe Omquist, who is the head coach at Davidson College for their field hockey program here in just a few minutes. But before we do that, Jamie and I have our housekeeping to get through. We're going to share with you a couple big wins, and then we're going to talk a little bit about mistakes that we've made in the past. And we'll tell you a little bit more about why we're talking about that topic here in a second. But Jamie, I'll start with the big win or whatever kind of win, I guess I want to classify it as uh, this week. Um, I successfully had, you know, pretty much a full week of uh, beach time. Well, I did have a full week of beach time, Um, not a full week off. I was definitely working, uh, but definitely got to enjoy you know, as much of the beach as possible. It was a little bit cooler than uh, last time I was there around the Labor Day uh, week and weekend. Uh, so it was made it much easier to get out with Stella and stay a little bit longer and uh, just be able to get back to work and do the things that I needed to get done. Uh, so it was really nice to have that flexibility, get the beach time. I was certainly antsy to get back home, get back into more of a regular routine, but I know it was a great week. My mom got to spend a lot of time with her only grandchild and um, she had f- or has five brothers and then had three boys, um, my two brothers and I. And so she's been waiting for a girl for a long time and uh, she's in between jobs right now and has some extra free time. So was able to stay with us that week. So it was nice giving her you know, a lot of time with Stella because um, I know that she hasn't gotten a ton of that time with the pandemic and them moving and, and everything. But I would say that that definitely made me feel good. I was antsy to get home just to get back in my regular routine, but I'm feeling good now because it's been a few days, got back into it and I'm feeling pretty good. That's awesome. I know you had an awesome trip, so I'm really excited for you. And that's really special that still I got to spend so much time with your grandma. So awesome. Um, so my one of the week is that I actually have a puppy restarting training on Friday that had to get sent home early. And when we get into our topic, I'll dive into that a bit more and it'll become apparent why it's such a huge, huge win for me. Um, sorry if we hear... It's on a noise today. I'm trying my best to keep them quiet, but one of my contractors has a COVID scare, so she had to stay home. So um, it's just me managing them all today. But um, if anyone's new here, it, it's not super uncommon to have dogs or babies <laughs> crying in the background. Yeah, definitely not uncommon. And wow, I didn't know you were going to tie in your win into uh, what we're going to talk about. So I'm going to let you go first for this topic thing, because you kind of let us into it. We wanted to talk, uh, you know, beforehand uh, today, earlier today, I was talking to Jamie and I said, you know, in this conversation with Zoe, uh, what's coming up here in just a minute, we talked so much about 
process focused, like staying process focused and uh, not worrying so much about the outcome and, and how that can lead to really great things. And it made me kind of reflect on, especially in my entrepreneurial journey, you know, some of the mistakes I've made along the way. And I know Jamie is also in her own journey, and I feel like she's about to tell us a story here in just a second. But uh, that's kind of how we got onto this topic today. So Jamie, go ahead, take it away. All right, I will start then. Um, so obviously, I have made a ton of mistakes in my entrepreneurial journey so far. There's no, there's no cookie cutter mold that works. So it's a lot of trial and error, like everything else. But um, I'd say my biggest mistake, which was just kind of a freak accident that happened so far in my training, was um, one night I was carrying a puppy down the stairs and I slipped and fell. Um, and the reason I'm telling this story too, is because it was so, so devastating to me and I couldn't have felt worse. The puppy ended up getting injured. She broke her leg. Um, but I want to be with transparent with everyone because there was, you know, no negative intentions there. It was just a complete accident. And sometimes that happens. Sometimes our mistakes are things that maybe we could have done differently or learned something and prevented in some way. But, um, this really wasn't the case. And, a lot of good actually came out of it. I learned a lot about just, you know, how to structure my contract a little differently and all these things. Obviously I worked with the family that had pet insurance, which is awesome. Now I require everyone to have pet insurance because, you know, accidents do happen. I have contractors on board now and I want to make sure that people know, like if a mistake happens, I've seen it happen in animal welfare with fosters and stuff too. Sometimes things are, are bound to happen and it's okay. Um, and we want to support our owners through that. And I want to support my contractors through that. So it gave me kind of some insight on how to structure things, how to communicate with owners. And from that accident, I mean, I told the family right away. We were on phone calls. They were out of town. I took the puppy to an emergency vet. We were in contact with other vets throughout the way. So um, since then, they have referred me multiple times. I've actually had three bookings um, from them as a result of how everything was handled and that was a lesson in and of itself of like, no one is perfect. It's really okay. You know, once a mistake happens, like how do we move forward? How can we be as, you know, accommodating and understanding and, you know, as good to the owners as possible in that kind of scenario and to ourselves. So um, that puppy is actually completely healed now. It's been a few months and she is restarting her training on Friday. So that's my huge one of the week. I am so, so excited to have her back. And I am just so grateful for that family for like them showing me so much grace and understanding when it happened. They were nothing but kind. I ended up getting a concussion from it. So they were so concerned, not only about their dog, but about me too, which meant the world. I know not everyone would have that reaction, but it really taught me to forgive myself a little faster. And um, it just is part of it. Sometimes mistakes happen in any process in life. Um, but that was a big one that I've made with my business <laughs> thus far. Um, and here, and that actually had pretty positive outcome. She's all fine now and gets to restart. And I got some referrals too from them. So it's been, it's been a good learning opportunity for me. Wow. That's an amazing story. I mean, uh, obviously, sorry, you know, what happened to you and, and the dog, but glad you're both uh, rebounded. And I appreciate you having the vulnerability to share that story as well. And I really do think it illustrates pretty nicely what we're talking about in terms of how learning from your mistakes during the process help you get the outcome that you're looking for, right? Like you obviously didn't want to hurt that puppy and you made a mistake, you owned up to it. It helped you evolve your business um, to 
uh, protect you from you know mistakes in the future that you know th things are going to happen um, and help protect dog owners too uh, a little bit in the future as well um, and it ultimately gets you closer to having a more uh, consistent outcome right like more consistently you're going to get to that outcome now um, so yeah awesome really really great example <laughs> I was joking beforehand that my example sounded in my head at least pretty silly and it's definitely going to sound silly compared to <laughs> what Jamie just shared with us for me uh, I think the the biggest mistake I made in terms of the process was just getting too caught up in quantity over quality uh, especially when I first started out as an entrepreneur like I just always thought I, I needed to be busy I needed to be doing something and <laughs> I think about like those times today and I'm like how did I have time to do anything else like to put work into anything that actually mattered because I was just sending you know, hundreds and thousands of emails and calling people. And, you know, some good came out of that. I mean, I made a few connections and, and, and everything, but, you know, for the most part, uh, it, it was a pretty, um, pretty empty exercise. And uh, all it did was shoot, it just proved that I could, you know, send out a lot of emails, but it didn't prove that I could build relationships with people. And like, ultimately my business is so based in the foundation of relationship building, not just like to acquire customers and clients and people to help. Um, but in the work that we do, when we talk about leadership and we talk about building a culture, like, I mean, how many times people who listen to this podcast, have you heard me talk about being relationship focused? So, um, I think, you know, that was something that it was probably a lesson that I did. It's one of those things where I just needed to do it in order to learn not to do it. Cause I think I had people tell me I didn't need to do it, but it was, it was like, you know, you see the hot pan and you're like, the waiter tells you don't touch it and you end up touching it anyway. You just need to feel that it's hot yourself. And <laughs> that's kind of how I felt about this. Um, you know, certainly I'm much more relationship focus today in my approach. That means I talk to less people, but the people that I do talk to, it's a much deeper uh, relationship. And actually one of those relationships is with Zoe, who we're going to hear from here in a few minutes. So I think that was why it was on my mind and why I was even thinking about it is because you know, I don't know that I would have had the opportunity to um, have as much time and learn as much and get to know Zoe as well as I have um, you know, had I been operating in a different capacity. Uh, and I, hopefully that's a lesson, you know, people won't <laughs> have to do it uh, to learn like I did. Uh, they'll just be able to listen and, you know, move on from there. I love that example. I don't think it's silly at all. I <laughs> certainly have been learning that lesson as well of, okay, I don't need the most dogs or I don't need to reach out to the most people. Like I want to do a really good job with the ones I have. And sometimes that means, you know, less dogs or even sometimes less income, but it means I'm more proud of what I'm doing and I'm more fulfilled in work. And I think that's important. So yeah, I'm really appreciative of sharing that one. Yeah. It's, it's got me thinking about, and we won't go on a tangent about this, but I saw a local grocery store in the Charlotte area was cutting hours. And, you know, part of it is the labor shortage, you know, part of it is, um, you know, I think just work in general during this whole pandemic is be really being rethought in the whole, like, you know, 24 seven aspect of everything. Like it's just, 
not sustainable and um, it's not smart either. And, and I think uh, a lot of our mistakes in the entrepreneurial world at least come from us trying to be a jack of all trades, trying to be on at all times. Um, you know, I think both of these examples that Jamie and I shared today uh, were just classic trying to do too much um, and not taking a step back. So uh, hopefully they have been learning lessons for you as listeners and uh, you won't have to repeat the same mistakes that Jamie and I have made. But let's uh, get into my conversation then here with Zoe Almquist, again, who is the head coach for the Davidson College field hockey team right here in the Charlotte area. Awesome conversation. Zoe was a standout field hockey player at Northwestern, also an assistant coach there where she won a couple Big Ten championships before eventually making her way down to Davidson. She's super into culture, super into leadership, an amazing leader herself. So I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. So buckle up. Jamie and I will talk to you soon. And thanks for listening to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. All right. I am here today with Zoe Almquist, the head coach at Davidson College for the field hockey program. Zoe was a standout player at Northwestern, then spent a handful of years as an assistant coach at her alma mater before coming over to Davidson. And Zoe, I want to talk about leadership to start our conversation. And one of the reasons I want to talk about it, I know it's super interesting to you and you and I've had multiple conversations around it, but your leadership journey, at least from a title standpoint, goes back to your senior season at Northwestern when as a player, you were voted team captain. I'm curious, you know, being able to fast forward now and know who you are as a person, do you think that your leadership as it stands today reflects what you were doing as a player and if so, like, what were some of those great qualities that you have as a coach? Like, what were some of those things that you maybe were ahead of your time as a player? Maybe some of those things that you were like, oh, man, I wish I could have done this better when I was a player. Yeah. Well, Colin, thank you, first of all, so much for having me on today. I'm just really, really excited to be here and, and to have this conversation with you. But, um, you know, I think when I think about that leadership journey and some of those those qualities, I, I honestly, I think my leadership journey started before I was a senior captain at Northwestern. I think it probably started when I was not a junior captain at Northwestern. And I do think that 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 matters because at the end of the day, so much of what I build my my own leadership style and my own leadership experience around is both the moments where, you know, it's out there in the spotlight and it feels like it's going in the right direction and the moments where maybe it's not going in the direction that I anticipated or I thought that it might go in. So I think um, I think absolutely um, those experiences as a player and the time that I spent as a player have shaped who I am and the kind of leader I am today. Um, I, I think that, you know, one of the things I like talk to my players now about is that developing, developing as a leader, like it is so much more about the labels that go into it. And it's so much more than just like, you know, kind of the outcomes, it's the journey and that process matters. So, you know, taking those steps, figuring out how to be a leader um, as a sophomore and junior, not as a captain, but, um, but then as a senior, when I was a captain um, and then transitioning into you know, I, I graduated college and I started as an assistant coach, like legitimately two weeks 
after I graduated with all of my teammates, including um, an athlete who was in my class. Um, so I had to go from being her teammate to being her coach in a matter of overnight, essentially. Um, and that was, that was quite a big transition. So, um, so I, I think I tried really hard to rely on what, what I knew to be true about my character and my personality and those areas that I was strong in. Um, and then also have some honest conversations with myself about areas where I needed to keep growing. And that is the journey, right? That's being keyed into the journey rather than just worried about the outcome. And I think it helped, helped shape the, the place that I am today. So you want it to be in a leadership position. Like that was something you were striving for when you were a player. You know, I, I'm, I, that's a really good question because I, I don't know that I specifically wanted to be in a leadership position, but I thought that perhaps the work that I was putting in would lead to it, if that makes sense. And, and so, so I think I don't, I was not explicitly disappointed not to be in a leadership position as a junior. I just think that there was probably an opportunity for it that I missed out on. I didn't do some things in that I needed to. And so those for me were learning moments, um, to like move into that role then as a senior, um, and be able to be able to appropriately, um, you know, like take on some of those new responsibilities. I think if I hadn't taken those steps as a junior, I, I wouldn't have got there, but, I'm naturally not extremely comfortable in front of groups much better in a one-on-one situation. So like being a captain, like I I had to figure out a lot about how to speak to uh, like large groups and appeal to broad audiences. And of course that, that, um, that applies right now every day in what I do. Right. I'm, I'm a people pleaser. I'm like, I'm a yes man. (laughs) Yes woman. Um, and so, so I think, you know, what that means is, is I, I want to, if I can make everybody happy. And the reality of being a head coach is you have to make a lot of really hard decisions where everybody is not happy. Um, and, and that's one of those things as a player, I don't think I had figured out yet. Right. I just kind of wanted to be like, do things the right way and lead by example and be everybody's friend. And I was hesitant to hold people accountable in the ways that they needed to be held accountable. Um, and, and it, it's certainly one of those areas that I, like, I think continue to grow in and, uh, specifically like think back in those times, like, wait, uh, what did I need, you know, and what do my teammates need in those moments? And, and how can I best deliver that now that I'm a coach? Even with then not being super comfortable in a leadership position in front of big groups and everything, someone saw an opportunity in you. And later it seems like, you know, you realize that this was something that you could take on as well too. I imagine you come up across this all the time as a coach now, identifying that with your players saying, oh, I could really see her getting into a leadership role, but maybe she doesn't know it yet. Maybe I need to coach her up. Maybe something needs to happen to let this person know that that opportunity exists. And that is you know, something that makes you even more valuable potentially as a, as a player and as a teammate. Um, you know, is that something that you're now comfortable with, you know, being able to have those conversations around people be like, I was in your shoes once. Like I, I didn't necessarily know or even want it. Um, but it was something that I grew into. And I think you can do that too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I, I think when I first accepted the job as an assistant coach at Northwestern, I thought, 
well, what 21 year old gets offered a assistant coach position at a big 10 school? Like, yeah, why not? But I'm not going to be a coach. I don't <laughs> plan on being a coach. <laughs> I'm just going to test this out for a couple of years and then I'm going to go get my real world job. Right. And that was like kind of the way that I approach it. And then you just sort of like walking into it and you're like five years in and you've won a couple of big 10 championships. Well, not me personally, but our team, you know, has, has, I've had that opportunity to be on staff while that's happened. And, and it's like, okay, well, I'm still gonna, I'm gonna go out there in the real world and I'm going to do, you know, this other job and see what happens. And so I think at the end of the day, in my mind, coaching called me, like I tried to walk away. <laughs> I did walk away. Um, and, it, and for sure it brought me back and it brings me back every time and it's always the people that bring me back and um and i think a big piece of that probably is is leadership as well um and so there's it's not to say that you can't like learn to be a better leader um but i think some of this probably is a little bit of a calling and so people did give me those first opportunities. I remember as a senior in high school i like go over after our games and help our the head coach of our JV team and she would turn to me at halftime and say oh zo you know what do you think about this and it, the first time it happened i was just sort of dumbstruck like i had no idea what to say um and and i think you know after th those early moments that was coaching and i didn't even know it was coaching i just thought I don't know what I thought. I thought I was just like hanging out with the freshmen. I think that was in my head. That's what I was doing. Um, but there I was being mentored, you know, by this person who's still in my life as a role model in my life. Like, and, and I recognize the power of that. I recognize the power of that opportunity um, that then turned into, you know, a position where I could be successful on my college team. I was given the opportunity by my teammates to be their captain. I was given the opportunity by my coach at the time to be her assistant. Um, I was given the opportunity to come in as an assistant for another program for UMass. Um, you know, after I kind of stepped away from Northwestern and all of those people who are primarily all still in my life, I recognize there's no chance I would have been where I am today without the doors that others opened for me, for sure. And so I think as a, like as a coach and as a leader now, I see my role as helping open the doors for others. And so I'm always on the lookout for well, what, what might be her super strength? Where might she go and make the best impact in the world? And each brand of leadership is different and each person's like what they're meant to do is different, you know, and, and, and finding that kind of calling space. Right. It, I think, I think it depends. And, and so I just, I think, you know, for me, I'm hoping that I can be that one that opens the door. And then, and then I see it as a responsibility of our athletes to be able to walk through the door themselves. So finding that line of like, yep, let me, let me open this opportunity for you. And, and like, I can see where this is going to go, or this could go if you're ready to develop. Um, but, th but then, you know, sort of being willing to like, sort of wait and watch and, and watch them walk that, you know, because I know that also people for me open those doors and watch me make the mistakes along the way. And if I hadn't done those, there's no way I would be where I am today. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I love everything that you just talked about. And I think the biggest piece, I mean, whether or not you know, you're the one opening the doors or someone comes to you and says, Hey, I want to be a leader on this team. Like, I think I can you know, do some really, like you said, it doesn't matter if they're not willing to put in the work. And I think that, you know, sometimes too much blame gets associated to a coaching staff or an individual coach to say like this player, you know, didn't, wasn't able to turn it on from a skill standpoint, or this player never grew into the leader. And, 
you know, I think at the end of the day, the accountability piece from the individual. And, um, you know, that's what I, I've really observed, you know, with your team in general is a, a general accountability uh, that, you know, everyone's generally aware of what's going on. You know, they have really great self-awareness for being so young, you know, you're 18, 22, you're trying to figure out a lot in life uh, as, as we both know. And, um, you know, I think that's a, a special quality, like, you know, is that something in your recruiting process when you're trying to find those people, you know, who are self-aware, who um, can hold themselves accountable? Is that something you look for in the recruiting process um, to see if they have that piece already? Is that something you are coaching when they get onto campus? How does that work? Um, I mean, I think, I think both, I think absolutely. I look for leadership qualities and our, our fit, you know, kind of in the off the field. And we talk about that as being like a team culture fit for us. So I always talk to kids about, okay, like, yep, hockey, there's a basic standard and expectation of where we want to be. And we're looking for the best players possible. But at the end of the day, a lot of times what differentiates kids is kind of that some of those other intangibles. And so, um, it's absolutely something I look for. And I, I ask kids all kinds of questions, um, you know, to try to figure that out. And I watch them and I listen and I see how they interact with me, how they interact with their peers. I talk to their coaches. I, you know, watch them interact with their parents. All of those things help kind of give me information about, yeah, are they going to be this person who sort of drives their own experience um, and are are really sort of the driver of their own boat. Um, and and like like I see my role as helping them steer, right? I provide that framework, that structure, and I'm I'm helping them steer, but they have got to drive it. Um, and, and so, I, so I look for that, you know, all the time in, in the recruiting process, but then like you said, right, they're 18, 19, right. 20 year old. They, there's a lot of mistakes that we're all supposed to be making. Like, I think in college, it's probably one of the times of the biggest growth in like any, like any four year segment you take in your life. I think college has got to be one of the areas of biggest growth. And so the only way I think that we do grow is having the opportunity to make mistakes and learn and figure it out. Um, and so both, yes, I think people that are really successful in my program are people that are self-aware and are willing to be in charge of their own destiny and, um, you know, and, and can make decisions for themselves. Um, but also my job as a coach is to help give them the tools to figure out how to do that. And, you know, I, one of my mentors in the sport said to me, well, what are we trying to do as coaches? At the end of the day, as coaches, we're asking our kids to be able to walk away, making good decisions. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that takes practice just like anything else in life. Right. So, um, you know, just like we practice our physical fitness, we have to practice our mental fitness. And, and, and as a coach that, that is well within the umbrella of things that we work on too. So. And I, again, love where you're taking this because it's making me think about trying to find balance and, uh, you know, maybe this is a societal thing, but you and I both have big 10 backgrounds and, um, you know, Northwestern maybe isn't up to par with Penn State on a year to year basis, but in football, they've had, you know, some good seasons and the expectation, you know, even I think in a sport like football is that everything has to be perfect. You have to win every single game. If you don't, you're not going to get to, you know, where you're trying to go. And, you know, to bring it back to what you said, I mean, these are 18 to 22 year olds, they're going to make mistakes and they're probably going to make a lot of mistakes. And so like, um, you know, bringing it just, I guess, to the question of like, how do you, you're, you're as a head coach, I'm sure, you know, your expectations and 
um, the things that you want out of your players, like that bar is set really high. Um, but at the end of the day, these are just people. And so how do you like balance um, not burning someone out or alienating them uh, because the expectation is too high to quote unquote be perfect uh, when, when we all know that that's a recipe for disaster and it's not attainable. And so uh, but we want people to get better. Uh, d- does this make sense? Like what I'm trying to get at here? It makes perfect sense. Yeah. I mean, I think the short answer to that is imperfectly. How do I balance like, these expectations? Like it's a, it's a process for me too. Um, you know, I, I, on this team in particular, I think it happens a decent amount when you, when you work with, um, student athletes that are high achieving in the classroom and also, you know, on the field, um, people do have high expectations for themselves and each other. And I think as a coach, remembering that, uh, is important, like remembering what it was like to be in those, the, their shoes. So setting, setting really clear expectations and like, this is, this is what we expect, but never do I set out. I expect perfection. Right. right. Um, and so I think that's a good place to start. And then the other thing is I model imperfection every single day, right? I tell them when things didn't go as planned, when there was a little bit of a, you know, a drop step here or there. And, and my goal in that is to remind them that we are all human and we're all living this experience together. Um, but, I, but I do think it, I think it's an extremely challenging line to, to kind of, to kind of walk. And one of our, one of our team mottos, um, or one of kind of the pillars of our team culture is resilience and it's not perfection, right? It's, it's also not even excellence, right? It's just resilience because we know that we're going to fail all the time and it doesn't, what shouldn't matter is that we did fail, but what does matter is how we respond after that mistake or that failure. So, so I think like we talk about that all the time on our team and it's a reminder and in football, I guess maybe you do have to like play a perfect game and, and there is some expectation for a perfect season and things like that. And I think there are ways to, you know, walk through that. Like I think about, COVID this last year, I know my alma mater football team made it through the entire season with zero positive cases. Like who does that? I don't know. So they figured out a way to be perfect, but that's, and they also went to the big 10 championship. Like, so I know that that's possible, but like, that's not, that's not normal. Um, That's not really what we're looking for here. I think we're looking for excellence and we're looking for growth. um, But those only come from resilience. So you know, when we look at top field hockey programs um, in the country, the top field hockey programs have like an 80% possession rate. So like in, in other sports, maybe that's completely unacceptable, but in field hockey, one out of five times we touch the ball, we're expected to turn it over. That tells us that like what we do after the turnover is way more important. And that applies completely off the field as well. So resilience in my mind like keying into that understanding um, is, is way more important than like, you know, kind of getting people really mentally focused on, Hey, let's have this moment be perfect. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, you're talking to a baseball guy where the success rate, the success rate on offense is three out of 10 times traditionally and any other sport that is, or anything in life, it's, it's unacceptable. And so, 
I totally get what you're saying. And I love that you, and I know you have your mathematics background, so I'm not surprised yeah. that, <laughs> that you went there with that, but uh, you know, what it's reminding me of, you know, when you're talking about the resiliency of it all is what you had said earlier, that it's, it's not necessarily the outcome. So like the failure is the outcome, right? And so if we're not going to focus on the failure, the resiliency, resiliency piece is the process, you know, that right. that's really what we're talking about here. Like, how do you, how do you keep your kids on, on the team focused on the process, knowing you, you have team goals? I'm sure you have individual goals with your players as well. How do you keep them focused on that process on a day-to-day basis when like right now we're recording this before you even play a game this season? And, you know, there's a lot of romanticism in sports where like, you know, before a season starts, everyone thinks that they're going to accomplish what they set out to do. And we all know that it obviously doesn't work out that way most often. Um, but, you know, I'm just wondering, you know, how, how you're able to keep them focused on that process and not lose sight of, you know, what that maybe long-term outcome or goal might be. Yeah. I mean, I think we try to make our goals manageable and like chewable on a day-to-day basis, right? If we, if we get caught, um, just only looking for that outcome, um, it, it can be really challenging to know whether or not we're moving in the right direction. But if we can keep in mind and keep that perspective of like, what am I trying to achieve today and right now to be able to get where I'd like to go. So, you know, as a team, when we build out our goals, we start big picture and then we work our way down. Um, and then I think, but how do we stay focused on that? We, we explicitly talk about it. Like what is our big picture goal and why are we working toward it? And, and, and today, why are we working toward it? And so I think remembering, like remembering our why, bringing us back to the big picture. And then at the same time, making those day-to-day goals manageable and kind of chewable, um, help kind of keep us grounded. And it helps me like stay grounded. I think, and like, ultimately, what am I trying to do at, at the end of the day? And, and yes, absolutely. The outcomes are great, but they're a piece of the puzzle and, and arguably one of the smallest pieces of the puzzle. If you do everything right, everything else right along the way and right again, doesn't mean right the first time it means you get it right. I think there's, you know, that there's like a, a, a quote or a saying, right. That says something along the lines of, you know, if, if it's, if it's, if it's not finished, if it's not fixed, then you're probably not all the way through the journey, you know? So, um, I, I think that reminds me too of resilience. It's like, it's probably, if it's not where you want it to be, you're not at the end of the road. So like, just keep going. That by itself is enough motivation for me. And sometimes it's enough motivation for the team, but um, you know, I just have to keep being creative about figuring out when it's not how we keep communicating that. Yeah, for sure. And the journey is such a great word to use in all of this too, because the journey is like, all right. So you say you win you know, your, um, your, the, whatever level you're trying to get to in your sport for playoffs and, and you achieve that. Everyone knows like 10 years from now, you're going to be like, all right, yeah, that team won. But what, what people don't know, like what you hear at weddings and what you hear, you know, when everyone gets together is those stories about everything that, that went into that moment. And so I think that's a really cool way to think about it is that, you know, th- those are the things that you remember the most, like you said, that that outcome just ends up being such a trivial piece aside, you know, everything else that happened. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You, I think the magic comes in those little moments for sure. Yeah. Very cool. So I'm super curious how you <laughs> managed that 
teammate to coach relationship. And I know that you, you said there were uh, some things you had to figure out about yourself, but I don't know too many examples of this uh, happening. I know it probably happens more than I can think of off the top of my head, but really the only big one I can ever think of is uh, Joe Girardi, who was manager for the Yankees, also played for the Yankees in the mid to late nineties, won a few championships and then was um, a bench coach, you know, in the mid 2000s, by 2008, he was a manager and uh, the core players uh, for the Yankees were still on the team at that point, including uh, the person who took over him or took over for him at his position um, as, as catcher. And um, it was mixed uh, in terms of how he handled it. Uh, some of the things he handled really well. Um, some of them very publicly known did not <laughs> go so well. Um, but I can't imagine being in a situation like that where uh, it is just a totally different mindset I feel like that you have to have in order to do your job like when you're a player you know you're thinking more about the other players I'm, I'm guessing right and when you're a coach you know you think not that you're not thinking about the players but you're also thinking about things that the players never even consider and so you know how did you go about managing that um, was it did you enjoy it like did it turn out well <laughs> I mean, I think it turned out well and that I am, you know, kind of where I am today. So clearly, you know, clearly it worked, worked on its way. And, and, you know, my first season coaching was 2011 and the first big 10 championship we won was 2013. So okay. um, for me, I don't know, maybe it goes back to staying connected to that process and, and, and like where we are in this point in time. And I sort of approach it as, okay, well, I know that um, I have a specific role to play, right? As a player, I had a specific role to play. And my job was to play that role to the best of my ability. It wasn't to be anything that I was not. And then as a captain, you know, um, it was the same thing. It just, my role, the labels on my role were a little bit different, but I was still expected to be me and the best version of me. And then when I was hired as an assistant coach, I thought, okay, well, like if I, if I hop up on some sort of like authority stool here, right. I'm in trouble. Like that's, that's not me. And that's not how I function. So I just need to continue to be myself. And, and so, you know, I credit, I think to my teammates turned um, team members, right. Um, they were really great with the transition and that was really, they were really supportive. Um credit to my coach turned boss because she was also extremely supportive and extremely confident. And I think in like my ability and opportunity to develop, you know, so in, um, in the springtime when I sort of like knew that I was going to be, um, hopping on on the team, but I hadn't graduated yet. I was doing for class credit and internship as, <laughs> as like a student assistant coach. And I remember the first time she sort of just tossed me out there. Like we were doing stations in practice and she sort of just talked me into a station and I was like, okay, well, I guess I just have to figure this out, you know? Um, and you know, I think some of managing some of the off the field stuff probably was a little bit more challenging in that a lot of my relationships with my friends changed a bit. They had to, right. I had to be a little bit more arm's length. Things had to be a little bit more professional than they had been previously, but I think that's a natural transition. I think I, it happened on a less intense scale when I went from just a player to a captain. Um, it happened a little bit at, from, a, you know, a player to assistant coach. Um, it definitely happened in transition between an assistant coach and a head coach. It, but it happened in transition, like relationships and friendships, they change over time, right? That happened. You might've experienced this 
becoming a parent, right? Like my, some of my friendships changed when I became a parent as well. And so in a lot of ways, that transition from player to assistant coach, like it prepared me for the way life exists in seasons, regardless of what you're doing. Um, and so, you know, being patient with yourself and giving yourself grace in that time. And I, I hope that I did that to, to the best of my ability at the time, uh, I think helped with that transition a bit as well. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing that. I have a couple more things here before I let you go. Um, I'd love to, so were you, you were part of two big 10 championship teams as an assistant, yeah, correct? As an yeah. assistant coach. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to get some takeaways from you in terms of, you know, what stood out from those teams that made them special that, you know, you were able to, cause again, you weren't perfect. I'm, I'm assuming uh, that that's either one of those seasons. And so um, just would love if you could give us some key takeaways, you know, some of the great things that you remember uh, from those journeys uh, that maybe people can uh, take away from this conversation and hopefully apply to what they're doing. Yeah. So I think, and I'm going to toss in a third championship in there in that um, when I was assistant coach at UMass, we won the A-10 championship and okay. we went on to the NCAA tournament as well there. Um, so, so those three championship seasons, um, they all taught me, I think, so much. Um, I think, I'm trying to think of maybe some of my, my best takeaways. I think one, realizing and recognizing the magic in the moment. And I tell when I start to spiral in my own head, right. I'm a, I'm a math major. I'm a, I'm a thoughtful person. I, I go over things and over things. My mom always tells me that I perseverate a little bit too much, right. Um, intense and I'm stubborn, right. So all of those things I can start to kind of, kind of spiral a little bit. And, but when I think about those seasons and what the teams did that were successful, it was, all of us had a sense of the magic of the moment that we're in right now. And that staying present um, in our, within our own role and our own shoulders and owning it to the very best of our ability. Like, even if we have, say we're an 80 out of a hundred, if you give 100% of your 80, that's so much more productive than having the capacity to have a 95 and only giving 72%. And so I think, I think for me, like on um, many of those, I can pinpoint different, different moments in season where things would go wrong and people would just not panic and realize that, that again, it's, and I I feel like a little bit like a broken record, but it is, it's a stop along the way and, and, and recognizing that if, if we keep going, um, and we're true to who we are, like that the outcome will decide for itself. And, and, and I think, um, that, that intentionality and that magic in the moment was, was super, super, um, you know, positive and important. And, uh, it's not even the moment that we won in any of those situations that really like strikes me so much as, as the process. In fact, the first big 10 championship, which was in, in fall of 2013, we actually, we went into the weekend before now, and I don't even remember specifically who we were playing, but I think um, it's possible it was Penn state and we like needed to win that game to stay in conversation for the big 10 tournament. And we lost the game. Like we could not stand up to the pressure that was necessary. We had gone and we had had all these wins and, and we lost the game and we sort of felt like, okay, well we, you know, we blew it basically. And then we went to our final weekend of play and we beat whoever we played in that final weekend. Um, 
And the other, there was uh, another team, I want to say it was Penn State, Michigan, and they were playing like right almost simultaneously with us, but their game ended a little bit after ours. And so I remember as a team, we all went back to the locker room to watch it. And for whatever reason, we hadn't talked about it that much. We had just, we just like knew that, okay, there was this game, but we hadn't really talked about what are the possible outcomes that could have come from this. And, you know, for me as a math major, I'm usually thinking about that, but because this team was a team that kind of really stayed in the moment and like, yep, we missed, we messed up, you know, the weekend before, but we took care of business today. And then after we took care of business, like, okay, well, let's go watch what happens. And we're all sort of starting to realize like, oh yeah, like, the team that we need to win this game is winning this game right now. And if this game ends, like we're going to also have shared this and it was a shared big 10 title. We're going to share this big 10 title. And, but it wasn't to legitimately where we were watching the streaming. I think that we all sort of figured it out. Um, and, and I do think that that speaks to just kind of staying, staying in, in that space. Um, and, and, you know, kind of where we are right now. Um, uh, so, and, and I know the next year when we won the big 10 tournament, the team we had to play in the first round, we had lost to like two weekends before. Um, and so again, it was like, okay, it's not a perfect journey. It's never going to be a perfect journey, but you have to be ready to go when the opportunity opportunity presents itself. And, and, you know, and, and that was the moment And that first round game that we won in the big 10 tournament was the first first round game in the big 10 tournament we'd won in about 10 years, maybe 20. It was a long time. Um, and, uh, you know, and it just, it just shows you that you've got to stay tuned into where we are. Um, and, and the big, the big stuff follows. Do you think as a final follow-up to that question with those teams, just knowing how special those individual seasons were, again, looking back and reflecting, like, are you able to see the buildup to that now, like in the seasons previous to that? Like, did you see the pieces start falling into place? Like those moments, maybe they didn't happen as consistently as they did in those championship years, but um, did you see the work, you know, being put in? Cause I think a lot, the reason I'm asking is a lot of times we all, again, focusing on the outcome, we just focus on that championship season. We forget about the work that went in the three seasons prior to that and, and the buildup and the lead up to it all. So like, you know, were you, did you see those pieces falling into place beforehand, especially now that you're able to reflect? Um, I, I can't imagine that they were just kind of like one-offs, you know, that they just happened. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I, I do, I do absolutely think that there was a, a ton of buildup and lead up. And, and I think you're right that it extends well beyond the single season that you're experiencing, you know, at the time. Um, could I see it coming each time? I don't know. It depends on the year. I, uh, the year at UMass. Yeah. I feel like as an assistant coach, I, you know, walked in like literally after preseason began, it was a whole, that's a whole nother story. And um, we don't have time on this podcast, but I was on my honeymoon, not planning on coaching and was sort of called up to be in this position. I walked into this team and it was essentially just like hit by a wall of understanding collective understanding from every single player on that team. Like, this is what we're going to do. And there's absolutely no one, even this random assistant coach standing in our way. And like, that was really cool. And it was one of the most powerful experiences that I've ever had um, as a coach was just realizing the power of athletes all on the same page and believing the same thing. So from them, yes, from the big 10 championships, I do not think they were one-offs. I think it was a result of a ton of work that was put in and a ton of preparation, but in the moment, 
like when things started, I don't know. I didn't know. I definitely didn't know. I think it wasn't until there was some of the hiccups along the way and we recovered from them, right? Yeah, there's yeah. typically in season, there's a point where the wheels sort of start to come off. And in hindsight, as a coach, you can always look back and be like, that was the moment where it just sort of fell apart. Um, and those championship teams would be, we would cross that moment where normally things would fall apart and, and people wouldn't, they would figure out how to pull themselves back together. Um, and, and those are the times where, you know, that then you're headed towards something special and, and it happened on all three of those, those teams. It wasn't necessarily the initial moment. It was after, after the wheels came off that they put them back on. Um, and, and so I guess as a coach, like ultimately that's what you're, you're hoping to try to like prepare for and, 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 and train for and give your athletes the tools for, because it's probably not the coaches at the end of the day, they're going to put the wheels back on. It's the players. Um, and so that's, you know, I, I think like game day rolls around for me and I'm like, well, this is, this is my least pressure filled day because the work that I could have done, like everything that me as a coach, I can give, like I've given. And at this point, then our, our players are driving that, um, uh, you know, and, and when they're able to take responsibility for it and, and get back up and, and, and roll again, that's how, you know, um, that it's a championship team. Very cool. And I know, obviously, as we just talked about, you've experienced a few of those as an assistant coach, and you're ready to get it now as a head coach. And by the time this episode comes out, you'll be on your way to hopefully achieving uh, many of the goals that you have set out for this 2021 season. But Zoe, really just thank you so much for taking the time today. Um, everyone, uh, I'll put in the show notes uh, a little bit more about Zoe, the field hockey program, definitely check it out. But I uh, just want to say thank you so much for taking the time and sharing your expertise with us. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on.